Hello, and welcome to Simplifying Shelter Behaviour with me, Tom Candy, the go-to podcast for tips and tricks for working with animal behaviour in a shelter or rescue environment. Hi, welcome to episode 3 of Simplifying Shelter Behaviour. This week, I'm joined by Toby Craze, and we're going to be talking about overseas shelter dogs. How are you doing, Toby? Very good, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Would you like to just introduce yourself for the listeners? Yes, absolutely. So I'm Toby Craze and I work in rescue. I work for a rescue called Love Underdogs, which is specialising in foreign rescues. So rescues from mostly Romania, but from other parts of Europe as well. Um, I've been working there for coming up to four years now. Um, I will be going solo with my own private training and behavior consulting business, uh, but I will be still still working heavily in rescue as well. Um, I completed my degree in animal conservation science way back in 2018, where I actually then went to work with elephants in Thailand for a bit, and where I first found out about village dogs, realized the behavior was so much different to the dogs I was used to. Traveled back to the UK before COVID, landed my job in Love Underdogs, where in the summer of 2020 uh, as an adoption coordinator and I actually learned everything firsthand there. Uh, I thought I knew stuff about dogs until I started working with foreign rescues and I realized I knew nothing. Um, so I started working with them, climbed my way up, um, you know, so much experience, the hours put in just dealing with different behaviors and training, got my accreditation by IMDT, put something behind my name um yeah and that just continued on just learning uh passing my learning on to others so i'm the team leader there as well so i pass on my knowledge and training to the staff as well so they can work with their own project dogs um and yeah that's that's pretty much me just you know loving it really i've it's definitely my passion i, I wasn't i always wanted to work with animals wasn't quite sure where i was going to go uh but dogs dogs are it so yeah that's me yeah, amazing, cool. And yeah, throwing yourself right in the deep end, going straight in with overseas <laughs> shelter dogs. So I, I don't know a huge amount about Love Underdogs, but from what I've seen from your Instagram, so you're bringing dogs in from abroad, but actually into a kennel facility initially. Is that right? Yeah, so um, Love Underdogs has been running, oh, my bosses will probably shoot me if I don't know the exact <laughs> dates, but uh, I think it's been around from about 2010, 2011. Um and I've obviously been working there for you know, almost four years now. Um, they basically what we do is we have a partnership with a um, with a shelter in Romania in Brasov, and it used to be a notorious kill shelter. Um, and my bosses, um, lovely Crean and Anna, um, made it their passion and their project to change that. Um, they. You know, they transformed the shelter through funding and educational programs. So that shelter now is this, I've seen photos, I'm actually going out there in December and I can't wait. It's going to be so exciting because I haven't actually been there yet. Um, you know, big land, um, dogs separated by their needs, which is fantastic. Um, obviously, they still share kennels, but they're sharing kennels based on you know, the sizes of the dogs, their temperaments, etc. They've got vet care on site. Uh, so it's fantastic. It's absolutely amazing. And typically what will happen is we will take dogs um, from that shelter, which they also deem as ready to go out into homes. They will rehome from there, and they also rehome in Germany as well, which is where our dogs go to for that quarantine period. Um so the dogs will go there and they're usually the dogs that will have been trained to wear harnesses. You know, they're used to having collars on and leads and being walked about and things like that. So the dogs that we typically get are usually older house ready dogs that can come in um, fairly well adapted, have the classic street dog traits, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, they are pretty much ready for a home. But that was going pretty well. When I first joined, I remember doing my trial shift and I was able to go in the kennels with the dogs. Uh, and that was incredible today. Not a chance <laughs> because we took on during COVID and during Brexit and, um, and then with the Ukrainian war as well, there's been lots of falsifying of documents and deferring involved and things like that. So we, we weren't getting transports anymore, but we asked for a rescue. We want to help people. So, People were reaching out to us with their foreign rescues that they'd adopted for another organization, had no rescue backup. Uh, they see us on, on they Google, you know, Romanian dogs or whatever, and they find us and they think, okay, this 
rescue specializes in these they reach out to us we have a bit of a policy that was that we don't take dogs you know just off off owners kind of thing but you know it, it all changed around and now we will take dogs from people and try and find them more suited homes a lot of these families we're going to get into as well we're not you know weren't ready for the dogs that they got um and they weren't assessed properly they weren't given you know the full background of the dog they weren't given the support the backup uh nowhere to go and unfortunately have to relinquish the dog that they love because the dog just does not thrive in their environment so that's a lot of the dogs that we have now aren't actually from our partners they're actually from random people in the uk (laughs) that have adopted from different organizations yeah i think that's really interesting though isn't it because it kind of highlights that the, the benefit of bringing the dogs in first to kennels and where you've sort of already got that relationship with a rescue broad to gather that information a bit better. And I think a lot of the sort of bad press that we see around foreign rescue dogs is where they're brought into the country and put into probably not very suitable homes. And like you said, they then don't have any rescue backup. So do you see the advantage, like, do you notice advantages with having them in kennels before you then rehome them? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So the dogs come over and even though we're given a a pretty vague, it usually will say like good with people, good with dogs. That's basically all it will say. Um, Here's a picture of them in their harness, you know, can wear a harness. That's that. Um, We'll get them and we will keep them. It's always a generalized period of like two weeks assessment. Um, It's always longer than two weeks, but just because, you know, when they first come in, they're all shell shocked. So they have no clue where they are. They're a long journey everything is just you know they have that honeymoon period they don't show their true behaviors don't express their emotions so after that two weeks we get a bit of a better idea of what the dog's all about uh their likes their dislikes especially you know being in kennel environment we find out what they're like with you know different members of uh, the team you know different humans walking past what does the human look like is this dog taking a liking to this person a disliking to this person what they like seeing other dogs go past their kennels what they like in paddocks out in the field off lead etc so having them in the kettles for us for that period of time is just it's invaluable um our adoption process then also follows people coming to visit at the kennels uh where we have a very structured way of introducing themselves to people we it's not you know it's not one of those spaces where we say okay you've got to come for the next three months and visit them every week it is it's not like that we but it is very thorough we're very thorough on the home check we're very thorough on the initial phone call the application and then the whole way through the adoption program uh, process it's all about if the person isn't comfortable or we're not comfortable we feel the dog's not comfortable we're very upfront and honest about that um and definitely upfront and honest with people if, if we think that situation is going to work for the dog their behaviors etc but yeah it, it is so important being able to have the dogs there in front of you and not just seeing them uh on the computer screen before you think okay this dog's i'm going to adopt this dog it's going to get dropped off somewhere on the m25 and you know that's my dog now no it's so much better coming to the kennels beforehand yeah that's that sounds really great <laughs> one of my horror stories from facebook was during lockdown um and somebody in a local group asked about you know where can we get a dog from because i've got children and i've been to xyz place and not not being able to get a child and somebody came on and said oh there was this great um foreign rescue dog website and i just got my dog and then they put <sighs> me in a car park and it was okay because the dog has, there was a photo of a dog with a child and i was like yeah that seems super sensible so that sounds like much a much better approach <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of the things you mentioned there is obviously the dogs are, are traveling a lot like it's just part and parcel isn't it of coming overseas yeah. and your dog's yeah. Um, from the partners of stopping in Germany. So one yeah. of the questions that we actually got asked on our Facebook page was around how that tra- how you feel that transport affects dogs, but also like is there anything we can do to kind of minimize that before they travel or during the travel? What do you think about that? Yeah, it's it's extremely tough because like you said, it's just one of those things that kind of like has to happen. And when the dogs are transported, you know there aren't stops for toilets or anything like that. You know, that there is the dogs are in the, you know, when they come in the transport, which I haven't had a transport for so long now because transports have always just been, um, you know, pre COVID and things like that. So we've had like minimal ones, but yeah, you know, they turn up and, you know, yeah, it stinks when they get off the, off the van. Um, but I think the thing is with the transports, they're so dying to get off, you know, at that point that they kind of welcome you, 
really with like open arms. <laughs> they're kind of like a relief when they see you because they're off. Um, can you make it easier? I mean, we could educate the the partners more so on you know maybe like calming products, etc. You know, but it just depends on what they have access to. Are they actually going to give it as well? Because the transporters are not the you know they're not the shelters. They're an independent you know that comes in and takes the dogs and transports them usually. So it's a lot of communication between different people. And I guess all the different standards of what we would do for our dogs here. So we've got a dog with travel sickness, for example, what we would, the lengths we would go to to help one of our dogs here is just, it's just not the same as you travel further away. Um, luckily, yes, they do get the stop in Germany because a lot of places will just bring the dog straight from Romania or wherever straight through whereas our dogs I, i'm pretty sure it's a it's a two-week stay in germany um first for that quarantine period and then they'll come to us which again is, is a lot shorter of a journey because we're in essex um you know coming from germany to essex still long obviously you got the ferry as well but it's not as crazy as driving all the way from romania but i guess the romania to germany is still quite hefty but yeah it, it, would be, it could be something in the future for people to especially in the in situ in the countries to adapt into their programs with the dogs you know calming you know even calming supplements or whatever else they can get but uh the likelihood of it is just it's just i just don't think it's going to happen because you try to talk to too many people at the same time yeah that makes total sense it's, it is a really complicated process isn't it i guess the other things that like might be useful if you're working in in a shelter abroad is things like starting to introduce a crate or just getting the dog yeah. that idea of having to go into a slightly smaller space because that's like you said by the time they get to you they're probably kind of habituated a little bit to it but starting to remove that stress of initially getting into the van when you've got other dogs barking at you as well as well is definitely a big challenge for the dogs that i've transported in the past that's really good definitely. so one of the things that kind of got me to invite you onto this podcast was I saw on your Instagram that you were advertising pre-adoption packages for um, foreign rescue dogs. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like, why do you think that's important, particularly for these dogs from these origins? Yeah, of course. I think, and like we were saying, you know, you'll see a picture of the dog. Some of these organizations, they're seeing a picture of the dog on, online and the dog, they have go through their health, they go through the, the home check, sorry, and they... They fill in like do they have a garden, etc. You know, you know the dog's routine. You know all the stuff like standard stuff for you know, adopting a dog. Um, that's all great, but where is the kind of the preparation? You know, they might say, okay, you're going to need some a dog bed and some dog bowls and you know and whatnot. But a lot of when it comes to foreign rescues, people don't understand how different they are to your standard dog um i say standard i, I know that's just kind uk dog short sure. there are some uk dogs that have more or if not the same amount of you know behavioral difficulties as overseas rescues but they are very different the whole the whole way they're built their genetics even is just completely different to what we will be used to and and people are getting they might get a little welcome pack even you know they might get a little welcome pack this is your dog where do they come from um you know make sure that they're secured before you let them out the car, you know, all that kind of standard stuff, but there isn't really into the nitty gritty of how street dogs work, how they think, what you're going to have to prepare for when you're at home, you know, what is life going to look like for the next week, month, year, even. Um, I feel there isn't that they have the standard, there is a standard information about, okay, you let your dog settle down for a bit, but before you know it, people are trying to take their, street dog that's never encountered a pub before and suddenly want to go take them to sit in the pub but they don't have those expectations and that guidance for what to do for that dog first arrives all the way up into that point so yeah i just think it's i think a lot of people they obviously rescue of their best intentions and sometimes they get lucky and they get a really good they get a really good dog good uh, quotation mark um and, and and that's great but a lot of the time it's they're not so the, the humans are not set up for success when it comes to adopting a foreign rescue that's that's why i wanted to put together this pre-arrival package where if people are looking for a dog what organizations to look for what are the red flags what are the green flags what should they be looking at and then you know if they are already chosen their dog okay you're already in it now let's figure out how to adapt your life to what this dog looks like have you got 
you know, images and videos of the dog that you can show me that I can say, okay, this is what this dog is showing to me right now from what they're like now in situ. Um, there's some blanket rules that I would put in for anyone just to set them up for success, set the dogs up for success. Um, and then working with them through a, like, you know, three monthly timeline, because there's no point doing weekly sessions with a foreign rescue dog, because you might find that nothing changes between that, you know, that, that first month, nothing could happen, but from month to month it can carry on. But yeah, it's just the, the ongoing support. And this, I think like you were saying, someone's asked about, you know, expectations, that's the main thing is getting people's expectations just down low. <laughs> really. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that sounds really good. And I think offering that service before people even sort of get a dog is, is really important. And that's a really great way to approach it. So obviously there you mentioned expectations and getting them really low, but what do you think, <laughs> what do you think? And you mentioned sort of going to the pub and stuff, but what do you think are the biggest, um, misalignments with people when they're expecting to get a dog from abroad with what you actually see yeah so i mean actually a lot of it can tie into also just getting a rescue dog in general um a lot of people have the kind of like disney mentality that they are going to rescue the dog the dog is going to be so filled with love that they are now able to encounter every challenge in this you know the life that they're coming into now they're going to be able to encounter every challenge it's all going to be great. They're going to go down to the park and meet their friends. They're going to introduce their rescue dog to everyone they meet. And the dog's going to be all over everybody because they're so happy that they've been saved. But it's it's just really not like that. Everything is on a much like a, like a smaller, slower time scale. And I think that's that's the thing that is the, the misalignment is the time that people think this is going to take. Like, don't get me wrong. There are some dogs that just, you know, after a week, they're, they're fully settled and it's crazy. Like unicorn dogs, you know, bomb-proof dogs. <laughs> but it's it's the time. Um, people, don't, people underestimate the time that it can take for a foreign rescue dog to feel safe in their environment. And don't get me wrong, they might get that dog, that they you know, the dog that goes to the pub. But it, you've got to break down the steps before you get there. And I think that's the the misalignment that people have also is this like the baby steps you have to take. Like I'm not saying the dogs can't do it because they can. I've seen dogs do wonderful things from overseas that are, you know, are able to smash through life and be able to go to the pubs. But you've got to start small and start slow. And that's and that's where the misalignment is, is people think that they may have had a dog when they were younger that they just took to the pub as a puppy once and they loved it but that's not necessarily going to be the case if you're getting a, a dog from overseas or a, you know even a dog from a uk rescue to be fair yeah definitely yeah and i think i think one of the biggest things is the things that we take for granted as well isn't it so i went to bulgaria um last year and i spent some time with a bulgarian shelter and i was really surprised actually at the population of dogs because they had a lot of dogs who were sharing their kennels, a lot of dogs that they were like, yeah, you can just walk in the kennel with that dog, no worries, which is actually quite different to the population of rescue dogs that we see in the UK now. But yeah. I think what we forget is these dogs, a lot of the time, aren't too worried about people or too sort of dog reactive because they're living in groups. Yeah. But what we forget about is the sound of the washing machine, the TV, yep. having cars go past you on a wet road if they've come from a slightly hotter country. And I think that's one of the bigger challenges, isn't it, is us not always thinking about the world around us because we're so used to it and how that's going to affect a dog coming in. Absolutely. So one strategy that's talked about a lot for rescue dogs, uh, for helping them to settle in, is is the rule of three. So that's where you have three days, three weeks, and three months, and you take things at different paces depending on which time scale you're mm. in. Um, and when I talk about it, I say you know it's not often a set rule for each dog, but how do you think it applies particularly for sort of dogs coming from abroad? Yeah, I would just throw it out completely when it comes to dogs from abroad. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I always say, and you know, uh, as you know, as a dog professional yourself, we're always saying it depends on the dog. Like, you know, that's what we always go to. It depends on the dog. Um, and it does. But, you know, like I said, the, the three, you know, three days, um, three weeks, three months, and the rule of three it just it just cannot really apply to foreign rescues because i i know i've known some foreign rescues to take you know like two years you know and 
that could be two years until they finally um, let, you know, we always say it's always the men that the issue to be fair with foreign rescues, but it could be like two years since the husband's been able to snuggle with them on the sofa, for example. Um, there are different parts of that dog's life that are going to fit into those rules and some, and some that won't, you know, like you were saying, the dogs, uh, uh, usually when they're used to being around other dogs, you might find that your foreign rescue, you can go out in three weeks and your dog is great with other dogs, but still isn't great with the husband at home, you know, in, in three months. So it is, it's a bit of everything with that. You, you can't ever put a rule on these guys because they just are, just you know so unique uh in what they will find like you said you know going down a wet road right you know listen to the washing machine you might have a dog again that is is fine with uh you know fine with people but it's terrified of the tv it doesn't get used to the tv for three years (laughs) so so it's it's just there are just no set rules i think when it comes to fire rescues that's just the way i like to that's the way i like to say it people if people have read anything online about you know about how long their dogs are settling. I just say, no, this is throw it out the window because you just do not know. I don't know. The dog doesn't know. And you don't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think the difficulty with that is we've already talked about sometimes the difficulty and expectation setting with, with owners taking in these dogs. And I think it puts a lot of pressure on the owners then. Like if they are three months in and they're still only doing quiet walks or the dog's not really going very far, or like you said, struggles with visitors or people coming to the house, that puts a lot of pressure on the owner to to sort of feel bad because that's not happening. But yeah, one one tool that I really like for expectation setting for for lots of dogs, and I think it works particularly well with with overseas dogs for what we've just talked about, is sort of having a red, amber, green activity list. So we've yeah. got red activities where the dog just doesn't cope. There's no point doing them. They're on the back burner for now. Amber activities, they might be a little bit more stressed. You know, we might need to manage the situation more to make that dog remain comfortable and then your green activities your kind of day-to-day stuff that the dog is currently coping with and we can chop and change the activities and then use the more green activities to support adding more amber activities in to make it um more beneficial for that dog so the dog's kind of having that opportunity to decompress after they've done something that might be slightly more stressful so um if you go on the facebook page there is a video on there about that which explains it in a bit more detail yeah i think that's a really great way of, of kind of helping owners with expectations definitely definitely i um because we do the visits you know we have a very thorough home check basically from the home check straight away we go straight into well for the initial phone call actually we talk on the surface level of what the dog's behavior difficulties may be or you know what that personality is like and then straight into the home check you know i I don't sugarcoat anything but i also don't try and make the dog sound like a demon because you know i do want the dogs to get adopted and they do have massive potential of course but i do really lay out the expectations for people it's like you know what's your lifestyle like at the minute are you a busy dinner party kind of family because with a dog like this you're going to have to put that on the back burner for quite a long time um and that kind of filters out the people that are ready for a foreign rescue if they're not like that it's a very big responsibility for the person to take on a foreign rescue and i understand when people say okay that's not quite for me and i say you know no worries here's another rescue that you can go to that might have a slightly easier dog especially if you're a first-time rescuer as well um not to put down first-time rescuers because i've had some amazing ones but it's not everyone's cup of tea and i definitely get that but yeah it's setting out those things and i I always send off families with you know what we're going to do so we do post-adoption support as well so that's that's with me so that's for the lifetime of the animal free of charge which is what a lot of other organizations of foreign rescues aren't doing and with that you know it's there's weekly check-ins with me for the first month um because we will talk about those things about those like green activities that your dog can do and when they can go for a walk for example is a is a big one um and then from then on they can do check-ins you know monthly weekly whatever they want really long as they organize it we we do the check-ins and that helps keep people's expectations level because it's very easy when they see a success to run with it and they have to kind of like dial it back in a bit um and having that support from me and my you know the charity that i work for is great because when people inevitably do like you know have a fuck up (laughs) right when when they do inevitably it will happen it it means that they can talk to me i can explain how to 
not let it happen next time and how we just have to dial things back a bit but it, it's very it's human nature just to be like okay i'm gonna run with this now like something wait great here i go i'm gonna now my dog can do anything and i think that's the great thing with with having access to support like from yourself or, or similar in other organizations because a lot of the time and actually in, in the rescue that i'm involved with a lot sometimes we're a bit worried to put pressure on dogs and this is really different for foreign rescue dogs because of their experiences but i think having access to an expert who can kind of tell you when to push or when to pull back is really important in, in giving these dogs the best chance because what i suppose we do want to wrap them in cotton wool to start with but then we need to yeah. know how to remove those layers in a way that's still going to support the dog and not just wrap them in cotton wool for two months and then take it all away and expect them to be yeah. able to cope. So I think that's a really great resource that you you and your charity offer. So that's amazing. Um, so often we hear about overseas rescue dogs being kind of fear reactive towards people or dogs, but actually the research, um, so there was a study in, in Norman Natal 2020 and it, it doesn't really show that. So 80% of the dogs didn't actually have any aggressive behaviours um, towards people and 65 didn't towards other animals. But the type of problems that were reported were things like fearful of uh, strange noises, having issues with recall, pulling on the lead, and then being fearful of strangers. So trying to kind of avoid... And I can see you smiling. <laughs> you know, does that fit into the kind of things that you're seeing on those post-adoption calls? Yeah. I Well, I see it as especially with the dogs that are coming in from, um, you know, sometimes we get dogs from other rescues as well that, that, that just can't, you know, they can't look after the foreign rescues because they just don't know what to do with them. And what happens is, is to say these dogs, like you said, you experience in bulk area, you can go straight in with these dogs and the, you know, they're fine and they're around other dogs and it's fine. Usually the, the common thing here that is the same with all of them is they haven't got anything attached to them. You know, there's no harness, there's no lead, there's no restraint. As soon as you put them into a place where they are restrained um, and they have low, no agency or control, that's when this like fear reactivity comes out and this fear of, you know, of the noises and whatnot when they're enclosed somewhere and they don't know where to get away from it or where the sound's coming from. But especially with the, with people and dogs, I've had it so many times where a dog has been an absolute sweetheart, you know, great with dogs off the lead. As soon as that lead gets popped on, no, nah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't think you could get a dog anywhere near this dog. Um, so yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me about you know that with you know street dogs being in a more free kind of environment that there would be you know, less of those issues because I think a lot of it is the adjustment to being restrained. You know, like you said, with the lead pulling and then no recall. Um, also, the dogs are very independent. They've got a very independent streak, but also very. Um, companionship with people as well but it's very much like you know if i'm gonna go off like i'm gonna go off like i will come back but i'll come back when i'm ready <laughs> yeah and i think that that's the big difference with dogs who have been free roaming isn't it is that reinforcement history for going off doing your own thing is massive whereas with dogs who are coming from pet homes like yeah they might have run away once and got to play with other dogs but actually they've got a much bigger positive bank account from people whereas yeah once you're off on a street you've got plenty of opportunities to scavenge yeah. do what you want pee where you want go and yeah. see your, your doggy friends and and that um reward basis from people is just so much lower isn't it uh so, so much lower so like my uh my family dog back home in cornwall is uh he's a complete mix but he's got like you know uh, like cocker spaniel and stuff in him he's a complete mix but he like you know going up on bobman moors and stuff where he's always been brought up uh he sticks to our legs like he, he doesn't go off you know there's there's wildlife around and all sorts but he'll never go out of sight and if you stop he stops but you know some of the some of the dogs that you know I work with, I, I trust them like entirely. So that they would come back, but it's the question of when will they come back? <laughs> and I think um, the other thing that you kind of said, which I think really resonates as well, is that idea of a lot of these dogs haven't been restrained. And I think a lot yep. of the time we think of foreign rescue dogs as those sort of fearful dogs that sat in the corner or under a table. And we definitely do see those. Mm. I think what isn't talked about as much is that frustration as a motivator. Yep. And like you said, either not being able to avoid a situation that they're uncomfortable with or not being able to get to things or having that, that freedom and that agency like you've already talked about. So I think it's really important that 
people think of strategies around mitigating that frustration as well as making them feel more confident around things. Um, it's, it's very, very true. I mean, like log lines are your, your best friends with, with these guys. Um, yeah, as I was learning and as I, you know, as my journey progressed, you know, the first time I switched to uh, a long, you know, a longer lead rather than just a standard kind of like six foot, you know, I went to the, you went to the longer ones and now I, I have a multiple, you know, multiple different leads I use for different things. But as soon as I went to that longer lead, that extra bit of freedom working with the more reactive on lead dogs, just wow, like mind blowing difference, you know, just giving them that freedom. And the families that I work with now, um, there's there's one he's a he's a, he's like a dachshund like cross i think he's like 75 percent dachshund so it, but he's from hungary um and she's awesome that his mom is absolutely awesome but she found he was like being super reactive to dogs cyclists people anything with wheels basically and you know and men in particular but as soon as she went to the park and give him his full like long line training lead she was like he's just the complete different dogs come up to him. He sniffs them. He, he runs off, you know, they went on holiday, um, had loads and loads of family members around and he, in the big, you know, big open bit of field, which is great. And she just sat with him on his big long line and he was so happy to meet lots of different people just because he had that freedom to move around. He was under the illusion that he wasn't restrained. So yeah, it's just a massive, massive thing for them. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the time I talk about this sort of, um pretend choice with dog training where we're kind of giving yep. the illusion of choice to our dogs yeah and i think that can be really useful for, for frustrated dogs in general and working on things like um chirag patel's counting game where you kind of move into different places and just putting a number of treats yeah. down so the dog's like oh i can go back or i can stay away but you're still building that relationship with the activity i think the other things are um some of the pattern games from control dogs yes I think can work really well with these dogs, can't they? Yeah, I had um uh there was a, there was a dog called Biscoff that uh he's in a home now and again his mum super super committed. Like this dog is not for the faint-hearted. He's an older senior street dog. Um he had some compulsive behaviors as well. Um and he was just so he gets so frustrated, you know, every, you know, on the lead he was just super super frustrated and doing the one two three game was just a game changer for him because as soon as he heard one like he'd like snap back down and like you know he'd he'd and he'd start to come back it was incredible because he went through a stage of this one passage where we would walk and it would just be and plus he had a bark that sounded like he smoked like 40 a day so it was just like <laughs> this, this 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 super rough bark around the farm like you know where we work um but then that same strip once incorporated the counting game you know, he'd, he'd run along and I could tell he was about to get stressed. You start the counting game, boom, come back. It was just amazing to see because he was so stressed, so, so stressed. And to see him not be stressed was is the most rewarding thing. But um, yeah, like I said, he's in a, he's in a forever home now and you know he's doing really, really well. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one, two, three game from, from Controlled Unleashed, one of the other benefits with that with frustration is like i think a lot of the time especially if you're an owner and you don't have much experience and you know your dog is going to react that idea of waiting for the dog to kind of actively choose something or to give them the opportunity to look and gather information can be quite scary so when when you've got that opportunity to build that reinforcement of the number three and you give that dog that sort of two or three seconds to lick and then reorientate to the owner just works super well, doesn't it? For, for frustrated yeah. dogs. So good. It's so good. It also is, um, it's a good game for like when we have new staff come on board, they don't necessarily have to be, have experience. Like all, all, I think pretty much almost all of my team have come from like, you know, they're fresh, you know, the fresh, the green into like dog training um, or in dog rescue kind of world. So, most of my team are learning as they go as well. So effectively they are, they are similar to, you know, new owners. So by doing, you know, things like the counting game, because it is very daunting if you're someone who doesn't know too much about what to look out for in reactivity or where that threshold is in the dog. And you're waiting because you think, okay, my dog's got to be chilled. I can't, I get my dog away from this in case I tip them over in frustration, but I don't quite know when i should intervene so it's good to yeah it's good to have like those those games they're they're easy and they're great for families as well like you know just gotta count one two three and build up the reinforcement history and it's it comes pretty simple i think if it's simple for people it's just so much you just get so much more success 
Yeah, definitely. So if you haven't heard of the that one, two, three game before, you start it off super simply by saying free and feeding the dog, building that reinforcement history with that word free. Then you introduce two, free, and then feed the dog on free, and then build up to one, two, three. But there's some really great videos on YouTube, so it's worth oh, having yeah. a look there. So talking of great videos, um, another one of the main reasons that I found you really is that you use in your Instagram account really well and you put out some really great videos of you actually training with dogs. So not just talking about it, but showing the progress that some of your dogs are making. So what kind of got you to start that? Well, yeah, so I have a, I probably have around 45,000 photos and videos of my camera roll, which I think anyone who works with dogs or has dogs, like, it's just inevitable. Your camera roll is filled. Um, I've just got so many, um, and I just started recording everything, everything I could, because when you're in rescue, which I know you're aware that, it's great for the rescue as well for rescue content to have the kind of like before, during and after. Um, also I was finding that with adopters, it was great. Me being able, this also helps a lot. I was able to pass on videos from me training the dogs in the, in the kennels to the families. Um, and also just great for the dogs, you know, adoption, um, prospects, because if you've got the dog, you, you know, you put the right up, you say, okay, this dog can be dog reactive, but here is the same dog walking with another dog because of the training that we're doing here in this video. So it was great. And then also, um, when I started my Instagram, I, I was quite, I was quite full on. I still am quite blunt and to the point when it comes to, um, like force free, positive reinforcement training, because like you work in environments where the dogs have incurred like lots of hardships. And as me and you know, from, you know, just from the research and just through life experience as well, how well the positive reinforcement force free is there anything really suited to dogs? And I was very upfront about that, uh, very blunt. And I, I put up a few, like I said, a few talking videos talking about discrepancies uh, that from you know, balance trainers and, and whatnot. Um, but again, though, I saw that, okay, maybe I don't have the, the evidence to back it up because people were saying to me, well, do you even train dogs? And I was kind of like, yeah, I do every day, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. Um, so I was just like, okay, yeah fuck this right let's record everything and make these videos uh and here you go here's the the magic before and after that you say that we can't get here it is basically so uh, yeah a little bit of um maybe a bit of an ego kicked in a bit but yeah <laughs> but also just also just to show show the process and get the good word out there because unfortunately yes when it comes to the training that myself and what you do we don't have the glamorous um before and after shots we don't it's not the first thing on our mind when we have a new dog come into the kennels and super stressed out and you know can be barking growling lunging whatever it's not our first instinct to whip our phone out and be like okay i'm gonna record this is great for instagram or great for tiktok like it's that's not the thing on our mind I, I, the dog's welfare is the first thing in mind so but now just you know, really starting to collect those videos because uh, so I can put it out and I, c I can show people that if they are a little bit on the fence, they've been like, okay, well, okay, you're telling me that all this stuff's good. You know, you're telling me that force free is good. Positive reinforcement based training is good. You're telling me that that's beneficial for the dog, but I'm seeing these 30 second clips on TikTok where someone's got a result in an hour. Um, but you, can you show me that? So now I'm just kind of like, yes, you know, I, I can show you that here's a, here's a session from a reactive dog or a, uh, fearful of visitors dog or even when it comes to like the more um more shut down dogs you know just be able to point out body language and like you know so you can notice the dog is actually taking a little bit more interest in me than yesterday for example so that's what i'm working on now is collecting up that library so i can post it out to the world and just uh let them know that it's not going to take forever for your dog to change if you train them ethically <laughs> yeah no i think that's really great and and like i said it's a really amazing uh instagram and i think what i really like about what you just said and what we talk about a lot um where i work as well is that ability to then show adopters and show people who are taking this dog and it's actually their dog so they can't be like oh that video is great but my dog doesn't do that because it's their dog and also if if they haven't had a dog before or they haven't had a dog similar to the one that they're taking home before, it allows them to start to see the training in practice. Cause I think a lot of the times when you look at YouTube videos or things like that, it's being taught in a classroom or in a training barn. Um, and then it's harder to then see the training happening out and about in the real world, which I think you do a really great job of showing. 
Yeah, unfortunately, well, unfortunately, unfortunately, fortunately for the videos, so people can see real life examples. But unfortunately, I, I am in quite a busy environment <laughs> where I where I work. So um, come out of the kennels, and there is a boarding kennels next door. There's another charity, All Dogs Matter, across the road, um, and that's so that's a car park dead on. Uh, there's horses. There's a cafe. There's fishermen. There's workmen. It's you know it's quite busy for a little little road. You would never think it would be that busy, but it's just nonstop. You know you want to get from the kennel up to Epping Forest. There's no pavements on either side. It's just like you know pull up on the mud, like have like body block the dog to so the cars are not so scary. Yeah, it's a it's a whole thing. But yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, it works in some some ways to an advantage because the dogs do seem to adjust to it quite quick, which is fantastic you know they encounter horses and things they've never seen before but on the flip side yeah it's it's quite stressful sometimes there's no, nothing worse than like the summer holidays and all the kids are there trying to ride their horses and <laughs> everyone's there fishing and everyone wants to sit at the calf and stare at your dog when you've got a reactive dog and it's not ideal but <laughs> yeah i definitely get the uh, the summer holiday feeling because yeah i'm in north devon um and when yeah. i used to work uh, center in north devon you know you go off site and there'd just be awfully dogs and holiday makers everywhere so well, and even today you know the sun's out today and we went for a nice walk with my reactive dog and it was probably the most stressful walk i've done in quite a while so i, d- I definitely get that <laughs> yeah. um so obviously we've just talked about your instagram did you want to uh, give the name of your page so people can go and find it Oh yeah, absolutely. So my Instagram page is Craze Dog Training. On there, you will find out a lot of content about um, Love Underdogs as well, because uh, all the dogs that are on there are going to be from Love Underdogs. Um, there are a few other ones sprinkled in as well, but mostly they are the Love Underdogs dogs. So you can actually look for a new dog to adopt, which would be amazing if you do. There are some really highlighted special dogs on there that I love. So. Um, so that's it's got that it's going to have lots of training tips and yeah it will have the occasional low below jab to a compulsion base and balance trainers <laughs> so be prepared for that it's not always pg and uh, yeah <laughs> yeah and just remember if you don't like it you can scroll past but it's probably worth okay. listening to <laughs> exactly toby's video is already good um so this this podcast is going to go out in a couple of weeks but at the minute i'm quite interested in your little story about your two labradors um oh, yeah who've come in from a slightly different background to where you normally have dogs but they're struggling a bit with moving into the environment aren't they yeah so this was um this is like, a, yeah, whatever this is this is, a, this is a random thursday for whatever this is so it was a thursday afternoon my um uh, my manager calls me and she says that Kaylee over at ADM, she's got these two dogs. She she can't take them. Um, you know, the family can't take them back. You know, the family don't really speak much English. Uh, my Spanish is very limited. I was very proud of myself that I was able to rattle off a few things, but then they started using their English instead. So that is definitely, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that says about my Spanish, but um, anyway, yeah. So they, the situation was they've got, yeah, five kids, um, these two Labradors and, you know, they're causing, um, the, the kids have got like bad asthma is resulting in one of the kids having to go to hospital. So the support worker, you know, is saying that the, the dogs need to go somewhere, but you know, the other charity can't take them. We can take them. <laughs> so I go over and see what they're all about. Um, and, yeah, so they're extremely fearful when I went over to their kennels. Um, I did a bit of the the door latch test, you know, just putting my my hand on the door, opening it, seeing what kind of obviously they were barking, growling, etc. But I wanted to see kind of like where this aggression was coming from. Um, you know, as soon as I put my hand on the door, they you know they're doing the rush up, back up, you know, and they just kind of the barks turned into like low grumbles, and then they just kind of like both went to the back of the kennel and just like lied down. So. That's incredibly fearful. That's what you, as soon as a dog does that, you know, this dog is, is terrified. There's, I don't know this dog's histories, but if they've lived in a family, um, you can assume they've never really been anywhere else. I don't know the family's background, unfortunately. Um, so we take the dogs and we put them in, um, we got a special kennel that's supposed to be isolation kennels, but it's, it's down the back of our kennel. So it's away from the hustle and the bustle of the other dogs. It's got its own garden. Um, and it's just far away from everything so that dogs can decompress. It's an, it's an amazing setup to have. Very grateful to have that setup. So pop them down there. Um, first day, yeah, you know, a bit, a bit growly, a bit grumbly, but just keeping themselves to themselves. Effectively, they were going into a more of a state of learned helplessness because 
they just started to give up. So they were, you know, huddled in the corner of the of the little outside bit, you know, basically sat on each other. That's what they were like. Um, first day one, left them to it, obviously, let them decompress. Day two, so it's obviously it's very difficult in a kettle environment because you do need to go and clean the kettles. You do need to refill the water. You do need to give them food. You've got to maintain, you know, their physical and <laughs> their needs to survive. So it's not always like I leave the dog to it. And now we'll just leave you to it. We'll come back to you in a week because it doesn't work like that. So got to go down to the kettles. And yep, now they've realized where they are and they've got over the bit of the shutdown bit of behavior. Now they're very much more on the more, you know, not confident, but they are, you know, rushing the gate a bit more. So it's still a lot of door latch test, you know, checking what they're doing. But at the moment, it's a lot of treat retreat is what we're doing. So they are eating. Um, they are eating, which is fantastic because, that's always a, you know, they're going to toilet as well. As soon as they eat and go to the toilet, they're starting to relax. You know, the, the adrenaline's starting to come down. The cortisol's starting to come down. You know, the digestive system's up and running again. Um, so able to get in there at the minute, but they are they are very, very scared. They, they do not trust me talking. That's what I've realized. If I speak, they don't like it. Uh, I say, you know, give Molly a treat. And she, I say, oh, good girl, Molly. You know, like, you know, just, just doesn't want me speaking. That's fine. And they don't want me moving around too suddenly either. They don't really like it when I'm face on. So I'm currently walking in the kettle gate, tossing them a treat each and standing side on, um, holding my phone at them and not making eye contact. because <laughs> they, They're quite intensely staring at me because they're watching my every movement. But I don't want them to take a glance at my eyes and find that I'm looking at them because they're just going to you know, growl and bark at me. Um, it's all fear. It's all fear. Like, you know, if they if they, if they were going to bite me, they would have bit me. Um, but they are slowly, once I'm in there for five minutes, I'm tossing treats, you know, uh, you know tossing it in different directions, going over their heads. Um, what I don't like to do with any dog, especially if, you know, it's a family coming to visit a new dog or anything, I don't like to give food from my hands because it can be quite coercive. They don't want to come near me, but they'll want the food. What I always say to people is, I've heard this from somewhere else, so I might have butchered it from someone else or it's someone else's quote. It's not mine, but it's, you know, it's equivalent of me offering you like a hundred pound cash, but I've got a gun to your head at the same time. You know, it's, it's not a nice feeling for the dog to feel that conflicted. So as of today, they're, I don't know what they also a few days in that's just treat retreat treat retreat treat retreat so you know those who don't know what treat retreat what we're doing is just getting a tasty goodie and throwing it to the dog or even better past the dog so the dog doesn't have to approach me to get the tasty thing they're going into their safe space getting the treat and then they return to where they feel comfortable and i never try and encourage them past where they feel comfortable not to coerce them don't want them to come near me i just want them to see me as a bringer of good things it's not going to pester them not going to manhandle them um and just do that you know five ten minutes and then i leave again but i'm at the point where i can walk around i can collect the bowls i could you know pick up their poo refill their waters and they were okay a few grumbles um so we'll get there we'll get there but they are they're not foreign rescues actually so <laughs> it's just, yeah so nice it's to have the so, uh, that flip side <laughs> yeah so it's and not just foreign okay. rescues <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely and i think uh, yeah i think you mentioned a couple of things that are really useful for us aren't they when we're working in the sort of shelter environment and that door latch test where yeah. you kind of approach the kennel look as if you're going to open the door and look at how that dog responds and like you said it sounds say, strange to say but we quite like it when we've got the dog who's either running up and then running back again or staying right at the back because you can think okay <laughs> might be slightly less likely to get bitten than if they're right at the front of the kennel and keep going um and then yeah i definitely agree with you about that sort of uh, luring the dog closer and the pressure that can put on the dog because they really want that treat um, but they don't want to be near you or they come up for the treat and then suddenly realize they're a lot closer than they want to be. And then you kind of get that massive over, overstimulation oh, of yeah. motion. Um, so I think yeah. some really great points there. Nice. Okay. So we're just going to finish up with one last question, which we ask all of our guests, which is what would be your top three tips for simplifying overseas rescue dog behavior? Ah, uh, yes. We're talking about in kennels or in a home uh yeah let's do both <laughs> let's do both okay okay so in kennels if you are a rescue that is going to be taking in foreign rescues to so say you've been once relinquished for the public 
key thing here is to place them strategically, place them somewhere where they can get access to the outside without you having to put a lead on because these dogs do not like to be touched by people they don't know and they enjoy the agency and freedom of control. So set them up so that you can open their door. They can go out to a paddock, relieve themselves, sniff, decompress. And in those places where you're hands off with them, you're going to build a bit of a bond with them and they're going to see you. Oh, you're the person that comes and lets me out and then just leaves me to it. And then lets me back in. So that's what I'd say for, you know, that's one of my tips for being in shelters. Um, also in shelters and in home is just take the pressure off the dog, right? Don't just pretend they're not there. Play hard to get. I always just say that when I have new staff or you know, new dog coming in, I'm saying to people like, play hard to get, right? Just let them come to you. They will come to you. They want to have con- freedom of control over their lives. They want to be able to know that they can approach you when they feel ready to, not that you're going to block off their exits and force that affection onto them because they, they, they don't want it. So that's my tip number two. Um, tip number three would be, I'm going to go back to expectations. Okay. My tip number three is because I think this stems from my expectations is where you're going to get all the other rewards from this. And all the tips basically all come down to this expectations kind of scenario is just to remove the expectations of the dog. If you've got a foreign rescue in uh, in a shelter or in a home, just take a step back, um, lower your expectations. And when that happens, you are able to take every single small win because that is where a lot of people struggle when they have foreign rescues in rescue and in home is that they don't see, they feel they're not seeing improvements quick enough and they come disheartened, but just completely disregard all of that. Just think every day that this dog is with you, they're building something with you. You're, they're becoming more comfortable with you. They're becoming more comfortable at home and take those small wins. Take the first time, you know, like that Labrador today isn't it for a rescue, but she sniffed my leg for the first time today without actually brushing me. All right. Take a win like that. Your dog's air scented. You know, it was like scenting when you walked into the room for the first time, or they, you know, they came up to you for a little, uh, just rubbed their shoulder against you and then left. You know, those expectations, you take away those expectations, take all those small wins, and you will feel incredibly satisfied and just feel like you're completely winning with your dog. And just forget what other people think. You know, people may say, oh, well, my dog can go off lead and greet kids at the park be like well i don't care because my dog's special um and my dog can do what they can do and that's good enough for me brilliant yeah i think they're really really great tips so yeah thanks so much for joining us on the podcast i hope you've enjoyed it there's some really great tips for people there so thanks so much if you want to see the videos that we've talked about that toby puts out there it's craze dog training on instagram Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Simplifying Shelter Behaviour. Don't forget to like and follow the podcast for future updates. If you're interested in hearing more free tips and tricks related to working in an animal shelter environment, you can follow us on Facebook at Simplifying Shelter Behaviour.